0: my mind I went to the number one business school in the land when I went there, you were a Chicago boot, And then I was an investment banker. Teacher. I was advising startups incubator programs and accelerated programs. I still do that. I'm a confidence fellow. I, you know, been investing for years now, right? So I prepared for, you know, like Game of Thrones, winter's coming. I got my coat on.
1: Only real content is going to last. All that other nonsense is here today and gone tomorrow.
2: Welcome, everybody, back to another episode of Navigating Now, a different podcast. I am your humble host, Des Cole, joined as always by my co host, Jay Bartlett. And today we are super, super honored to have Sherman Williams on our podcast. Sherman has done a lot of things in the world of VC and tech, he has a super long list of, of accolades. So I'm going to actually pass it over to him. First of all, thank you so much for joining our podcast. But I really just want to uh give you the opportunity to tell a little tell the people just a little bit about where you're from, how you uh how you ended up here.
0: Absolutely. So how are you doing, everyone? Uh and, and you know, for the different to the different team, thank you for having me on. I'm excited to do this. Um so you know, I'm the managing partner and co-founder of AI and Um, and we are a fund that invests at the intersection of dual-use and deep tech. Dual-use means companies that have both government and commercial applications. Deep tech are companies that are building technologies that are out of the R&D phase, but those technologies do not yet have wide-scale commercial adoption, and those same technologies have the ability to either disrupt an existing market and or create a brand new market. So think uh, to bring it home to the audience, think about things like artificial intelligence, machine learning are some great examples of that. We specifically at AIN invest in space technology, sustainability technology, and healthcare technology. Um, Those are the key areas we focus on. We have another part of our mandate investment in Data and Ventures, where we invest in veteran-led startups, military veterans. Um, I'm a veteran, and so is my co-founder. So that's something that's near and dear to our hearts. And the military is overrepresented by minorities. Um, I'm I'm an African-American. My co-founder is a woman. Um, Investing in that community, in those communities, uh, in minority communities, we call them underestimated communities, is extremely important to both of us, to Emily and I. And so by investing in veterans, you know, quite naturally, you are going to come into contact with a ton of minorities. And so that's another portion of our investment mandate. So that is me. Um, in my past, yes, I've I'm, I'm, um, been working for some time now. i um, been working on AIN for several years, uh, for a couple of years, and, and, uh, but, but it's been in, in the thought process for about three years. Prior to that, I was an investment
2: banker. Prior to that, I was a military officer. So, uh, great to meet you all. Yeah, for sure, thank you for the quick intro. I'd like to first just get into, um, you said the military was a big part of your life and uh, one of the main drivers in the work that you do today. Could you just speak on um, how you went from, or just like your initial thought pattern of your trajectory from when you were, say, like in high school. What did you feel like you wanted to do, and what path were you paths were you trying to go down?
0: Man, honestly, when I was in high school, um, I think overarching, like you know, big themes. I knew the right thing to do, uh, but when it came to the tactical. I I was just living, man. I was I was I was a knucklehead a little bit. Um I was just kinda out there. Um just just living, you know. Uh didn't really have uh, I mean I went to the Naval Academy, so I definitely had it in me, but I I don't think that um I had anyone bring kind of that, that grit out of me yet at that point, you know? Uh so I was just kinda floating and, and honestly life was, was kinda was Life was a bit easy, and I wasn't I wasn't trying to take on additional tasks, extra tasks, et cetera, in life, um, right. which is unfortunate because you, you lose out on a few years. Uh, you lose out on several good years, right? I think pretty much all of high school, I could have done a lot more. Um, I did enough. Like I said, I did enough to go to the Naval Academy, but I could have done much, much, much much more, but I just didn't really grow up in an environment that, that really pushed me to do more. Um, uh and, and no no fault to to no fault to that environment or those people. They just didn't know, right? Um right. work working class community, uh, working class parents, et cetera. So um um but I did learn a lot from my parents. Um my parents moved out through education and educational attainment. Um, you know, when I was growing up my parents were you know poor to working class. Um, by the time I was in college, they were moving nicely into the middle class, and they and they where where they are today, right? Because um, my mother my mother graduated from my mother got an advanced degree, my junior year of college, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that was very similar, you know, to me. So, um, yeah, growing up just didn't really didn't really have that. What what really kind of put me on the right. So high school was kind of a wash, but what put me on the right track was going to naval academy. Because the Naval Academy will bring it out of you. It'll bring it all, all the things.
2: You know, I was gonna say. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. It'll bring it. It will bring all the things out of you. Uh, and I, I think that goes for the military. Um, it's a very unique portion of our society uh, where you really have to put up or shut up. Um, mm. And I think a lot of us have it in us to to to, to put up. Right. And do well and, and, and do what needs to be done to win um, at whatever we want to win at. But, um, you know, often in life, uh, you can you can a lot of times you can just kind of flow by and the military will not allow you to do that. So, um, you know, I think it started off my journey. You asked about high school. I'll flip it and say it really happened to me in college. And it honestly, it probably took about. You know, two years of college. To where the light switch turned on to some degree. It was like, okay, we're gonna work hard, we're gonna get focused. Um, But it wasn't even where it needed to be, even at that point. I I would say prior about 24, 25 is where it really, really, really flipped on for me, the switch. Um, And I was like, okay, we're gonna seize the day. Every second counts, every moment counts. Um, And this is a journey. Some people get it at 12, some people get it at 15, some people get it at 25, some people get to 50. 45 50, Right. For me, for me, for me it flipped on at, at twenty-five. Um, where I was like, okay, we're gonna
2: conquer this this thing, uh, call life, um, and seize every opportunity. Yeah, that's dope. That's uh I'd say it's kind of similar to uh my experience as well. It took like the like sophomore year, two years in college, where I was like, Oh, like yeah, we need to start uh we need to start moving, you know what I'm saying?
3: Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah 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 so
2: yeah like once once that clicked for you you said you went from uh the military and then uh you said you said you did something in between uh the military and bc
1: or wait could i actually i want to bring up something real, real quick because i remember one of the first okay. time sherman i talked to you you told me uh one of the really inspirational moments was when elon started spacex for you and like you saw people like kind of private citizens going to space and just like the scale and the economy of all of that like inspired you could you talk or speak on that a little bit
0: yeah man so it was actually a rolling thing so what happened was i was in afghanistan in 2008 uh while i was in afghanistan elon got the fourth it took them four rockets to get off the ground. Uh, to four rockets to actually successfully get above the Cardinal Line, get successfully get into space. And I think it was like September twenty something, twenty sixth, I think, two thousand eight. And I, you know, it was, it was it was like for a lot in certain circles, it was like, whoa! Um, I think he was the first. I, mean, I know he was the first private citizen to put, and object was space. So it was wildly impressive. Um, So that's when I really started digging into VC. I'm like, what enabled this? Right? And then like I discovered what PayPal was and I had heard of PayPal at about two thousand eight. But I really was able to like dig in and see. And then at the same time, after I left Afghanistan, I moved to Asia. And in Asia, V C was becoming V C was a thing. Um O seven, just a year before that iPhone came out, right? Mm -hmm. Um, you started seeing, you know, you started hearing the terms of the capital and then you had venture back startups and they were growing rapidly. And these were companies that were kind of on the move, right? And it wasn't, I mean, a lot of those companies really didn't get kind of tracing until like probably like that 2011, 2012 time frame. But you really started to, I was able to see it, just the whisperings of it um, in that kind of 2000 and, you know, 8, 9, 10 time frame. And I was over in Asia and I'm from of Chicago originally. And you know, Chicago, it was, you know, one point years ago it was the fastest growing city in the world. It was like in the twenties, from 1920s, something like that, a hundred years ago. And and um and it was just a, a rough town. It was a lot about business and commerce. And you know the same thing with New York City where I live now. I'm in New York. And man, Asia just to me, I'm a big history buff. And Asia to me seemed like what I read about what Chicago and New York were in like the 20s, if that makes sense. Right? Um, right. Where it was just scaling like no other, like you're in China or it's just, you know, I was in South Korea a lot and you're just building, things being built overnight and just, you know, fortunes being made and it was just fascinating to me. And what I, luckily, you know, I've I've, I've never been great. I've been okay from a tactical standpoint, but that's not my zone of genius. I think my zone of genius is able to be, being able to look at a situation and understand that from a strategic standpoint how things were like shaping up, right, and, and being able to discern and put myself in the right position. So, what I quickly started to understand was looking back, and I probably I couldn't have articulated at the time, but now I can. I understood that. When it comes to this society that's been built, right, this post-World War II society economically, you want to sit on the equity side of the house. You want to own equity in things. Because when it comes to equity, things are valued at a certain level one day, and they can be valued at another level the next day. And I understood that it wasn't about getting a paycheck and working for someone else. I under, I just, I just, I, I understood that. And I understood that no matter how big your paycheck of two, five, $10 million a year, it still was different from you own a company that's valued at a hundred million. And then a year later, the company's valued at 1.5 billion. It's just different, right? And so I, I got, I got that. So then I started, so then it became like, okay, where do you, where can you best count the equity side of the house? Where there's the public markets and the stock market, right? Public companies.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: But then there's this whole there's the private markets where venture capital is, and there's also private equity, et cetera. And I and I understood. I was kind of I wasn't completely sold on venture capital, although I said in my business school, I've with the business school, uh, so that's what I did in between for everyone uh, to answer oh, the question directly. I, I did business school, at University of Chicago, oh, shit, Blue, and then I and then I was an investment banker. But I was like, okay. I don't want to be on the sell side. I don't want to be on the buy side. Like that's, that's where you want, that's where you need to be. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. How do I get there? And then where do I want to be? Well, I went to investment banking. I went to business school and I went to investment banking. While in business school, I interned at a VC shop. I was exposed to private equity while I was an investment banker, post B school. But then private equity was great, but a lot of it was financial engineering. And what happened was I was in banking from 2012 to 2019. And what you had then was the greatest economic run in U.S. history. Really, between 2010, 2009-10, and 2020, it was the greatest economic run in U.S. history. And I was able to see that. And it may never happen again in my lifetime, right? Um, because that run was a was a unique mix of factors that promoted growth and growth growth at all costs, effectively, right? Mm -hmm. now i actually think that that run it may not overall that run may not be repeated but it will happen in pockets and i think it will mainly happen in high technology pockets because that run enables the development of technologies that are going to propel humanity forward for the next half a century even longer right um and i have a whole thesis behind that and I'll, i'll get into that later as to why but i saw that Private equity was great, but a lot of it was financial engineering. The true wealth creation, job creation, innovation was occurring in venture capital, right? Mm -hmm. And so I knew that I kind of made the decision, okay, that's where I wanted to play. And not to mention, it's hard to go from a post-NBA associate uh, slash VP science director to private equity. It's hard to make that transition. So I was like, okay, cool. For venture capital, it is now. Venture capital has multiple different like, asset classes. There's growth within it, within an asset class. There's growth equity. There's regular venture. Um, hell, before there's crossover rounds, which is before you go public. There's growth equity, which is kind of the same thing. There's um, you know regular venture capital, and then there's early stage venture capital, and then there's even angel investing, right? Um, and so I, I you know had to take a look and where was the best to play out. And I knew that where I eventually wanted to be was early stage venture capital. And it's been a blessing that it's worked out that I'm able to be in early stage venture capital, which is where I play. I'm 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 a, I'm an early seed, pre-seed investor. Right. So I'm just above the, there's friends and family. Then there's angels. Friends and family angels are kind of mixed and there's friends and family angels. Um, but I say angels are a little bit higher. And then from there, there's like free seed and early seed. Then there's later stage seed because seed rounds are much bigger these days. And then and then, you know, and then now there's, you know, series ABC and then growth equity crossover. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, that's kind of how my, my thinking came about. And I was just a young man from the south side of Chicago, um, just a young man who was, you know, didn't grow no family in finance. Mean, I'm from Chicago, man. So you know, no family in finance. Um, you know, definitely don't don't know anything about venture capital or any private equity. I'm the first banker that I know of in my family. Uh, investment banker. Uh, I was the first one in my family to go to a top MBA program. Um, you know, uh, not my family has accolades. I have, I have doctors and lawyers in my family, et cetera. Right, people who did that, but they, you know, that's a high, uh, that's a high earned, they went the route of, I'm gonna get a paycheck. And I'm gonna get, mm-hmm. I'm going to get a good paycheck. Mm-hmm. And I and I was one of the, you know, I have entrepreneurial people in my family, but they actually, the, most entrepreneurial people in my family don't have a college degree, right? Um, but I knew, I, I just think I was fortunate enough to be put in positions to soak up knowledge. Right. And I had that post 25 year old mentality. Right. And you you combine those two things and um, you become a monster, you know, uh, where you're just like, okay, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to seize the day. It's not about, con- I, I use the word conquering, you know, the older I get, you know, the more, uh, the more loving. I try to, I try to move from a place of love, but it's just about seizing the day and just taking every advantage I I, I, I can.
1: Absolutely. And so we're gonna dive deep into mm-hmm. v c private equity and understanding that the first place that I wanna start is a few of the uh, networking groups that you are a part of, I guess Tech Stars and Kaufman Fellows. Can you explain your relation and what those mm-hmm. are? Yeah, so Techstars first um
3: uh,
0: so I'm the v c and residents. Um, for the program, I basically help the program select the companies uh, that are going to participate. Right, so it's something that's uh, near and dear to my heart. Something I love to do. Um, you know, I'm also raising raising the funds for AIN, so I don't get to dedicate. I, you know, I have to be conscientious about the amount of time that I spend on it. But um, I am. It's it's it's, it's interesting. Uh, it's been stressful, a bit stressful, trying to. Uh, support, do other things outside of AIN, but TechStars is something that you know. If I'm afforded the opportunity, I serve at the pleasure. of The MD I work with, uh, uh, Matt Koblov. Uh he runs TechStars LA TechStars Space Tech for everyone listening. Um, as long as as long as I'm able to work there, I, I'm, I'm 100% going to do it, and I'm going to I'm going to give of myself uh, to that program and be as helpful as as possible. 100%. I'm going to do that. Um, fantastic program! It is a three-month accelerator program. I like to say it's an accelerator program, not an incubator program. Um, I believe I believe there there have been a lot of people who said negative things. People have mixed have mixed views on TechStars and Y Combinator, some of the accelerated programs. The numbers speak for themselves with respect to survivorship. So your startup has a much better chance of surviving. Um, if you do an accelerated program, and I would argue of the accelerated programs, Techstars is definitely one of the best. I would say that there's even variability within Techstars because Techstars runs like 50-plus accelerated programs. And I would argue that, of course, a bias, biased, that the Techstars LA program is arguably one of the best because I know that the people who are there, including me, are fully dedicated to seeing those companies be as successful as humanly possible. Period. Full stop. Right now, you'll hear people. You'll hear people say, "Oh, you don't like certain ideas." You'll hear people talk about race. You'll hear people talk about sex. Let's have it out. Right. Um, you know, we care. There's every. You know, every race, color, creed uh, is pretty much exists within the program team between the program manager, the MD of the program, the VCs and residents in the program, the business associates in the program, and we are there to see those companies, you know, be successful. Um, and so uh, it's been a pleasure to work with that program. Um, it's something that I don't even know if the program realizes, but I have my eyes on uh, doing a lot more with the program um, over time in different ways to be as helpful. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to, just trying to make the program be as successful as possible because it's a beautiful thing that exists. There are a lot of people that have tried to start accelerator programs. A lot of them are not still around. Techstars has got, to, I think it's the largest in the world. Um, it's the entire consortium of programs. Um, so uh, that's something that I do. I work with the Techstars LA and Space Technology Accelerator programs. And for everyone listening, like I said, three months, um, you actually get a bit of funding. Um, you get exposure you, through going through the program. We help you rethink how your startup is going to perform and how you should build it. Um, the idea is to um, give you what was otherwise taking three to four years on your own, set in the three months. Um, you get you you get um, you know invaluable mentors for your company also, because you know, a lot of this is about network and mentorship to see your company be successful. Um and you know, we've set you on the right path and for numbers wise, about uh fifteen out of all startups that that get going after five years, uh you'll see about fifteen percent that are still alive in some way, shape, or form. Um Tech flips that on its head and Techstars, if you look five years out of companies that graduate from this cohorts, about eighty-five percent are still around in some way, shape or form. Um Techstars, last in my chest, is averaging about one unicorn every 55 companies. Um, and that's, that's over a billion. And if you can count, include the companies over 100 million, obviously it's going to be some amount less than one in 55. Maybe it's one in 25 or 30, whatever, whatever the number is. I'm not sure. Um, but it's less than one in 55. So it is a fantastic program um, that, you know, I know the management just changed over, and they're really doing their best to really harness the, the value of it. Uh, it's a lot going on, uh, but I would suggest any any entrepreneurs should be looking at, at the Techstars uh, consortium of programs if you're thinking about building a business. Now, the Kauffman Fellowship started by Ewan Kauffman. Ewan Kauffman was a serial American entrepreneur back in the 50s and 60s. He believed that entrepreneurship was a thing that um, differentiated, uh, pun intended, differentiated the United States from every other country in the world. And he wanted to see more entrepreneurs. He wanted to really invest in entrepreneurship in the United States. So he started uh, basically a foundation. I think it started like in the 60s or 70s. Um, he did that, they do that for years. And it's actually one of the biggest entrepreneurship promoters in the United States, I think even still today. In the late 90s, they realized, uh, as a matter of fact, it was like 96 or something like that. They realized that um, you needed people to invest in entrepreneurship. Right? Um, they started a fellowship program for venture capitalists. And what that program was for was to, to ensure that you had the absolute best venture capitalists to invest in those best of breed entrepreneurs that were going to continue to propel America forward, continue to differentiate America. Um, and so I am in class 26 of that program. I'm, I'm, I'm super, very, very fortunate. I have all the gratitude to be a part of that program. And I, through that program, I'm around the best, you know, 55 venture capitalists in the world. Only about half of us are from the United States. The rest are from everywhere from Saudi Arabia to Ireland to Australia uh, to New Zealand, right? Um, and and, and uh, Latin America, all throughout Latin America. And so uh, these are every year bringing in about 50 to 60 of the absolute best venture capitalists, capitalists who are up and coming. People who are not quite established yet, haven't quite made it yet, but they're up and coming. Bring in the best ones in the United States, I'm oh, sorry, United States and around the world, together to learn. Um, it's a two-year program. Uh, every three months we meet in person. So think about them almost like an executive MBA. Um In between the cohorts, in between the cohorts come together on a quarterly basis. We have like homework assignments, et cetera. We have things that enable us to get together. And uh it has been a blessing of a program because venture capital doesn't really have the barriers to entry. Um and so you get a lot of people who are not really you get a lot of people who are not real, um, that are in VC. Uh and coffin has been a blessing because be around real venture capitalists, real people who are um you know, who are going to be the next best degree. It's all about network, right? It's like going to a great undergrad program or a great master's degree program or going to a great high school or elementary school. Uh, at the end, it's about what you learn, but it's really about that network that you develop also. Uh, it to provides the best of both worlds. Extremely great learning and extremely great mentorship. Um, and so those are two,
1: two programs that I'm involved in. Thanks. I appreciate that explanation. I've always seen that like on your profile and and everything but i never knew fully like what it was Um, the next question like specifically about vc i want to understand the cash flow of a vc company like obviously you're raising money and then you invest it into the companies but from like where you actually cost beginning and end what is the cash flow of the vc company
0: so let's start philosophically. That's how I like to start. Venture capital was not meant to come into if you didn't have money. The way it's set up today, just, just just a fact. The way the way it's set up, it wasn't really meant. It wasn't really designed for people who didn't have a lot of money. Venture capital, the way it's set up now, was meant for you made some money somewhere else, or through through some entrepreneurial endeavor, whatever have you, or you could work for it, whatever, you know, work for someone else that paid you, whatever.
3: You made a good amount
0: of money, and you said, I'm going to start to back entrepreneurs with my own money. And then eventually, after I prove myself with my own money, I'll convince
3: others to put
0: in money with me. At a very rudimentary high level, that's how venture capital is designed today, right? It's, and I, I operate under that parameter. Unfortunately, I came into this game, and like a lot of other people who are minorities came into this game without a lot of money, right? And it just kind of is what it is. Um, but venture capital, you, have, you need to be thinking about it as if you are basically running an extremely small business. So let's say you have a $100 million fund, okay? Typically in venture capital, the people who start the fund have to put up 1% to 2% of that $100 million. So you gotta put in a million or two million of your own money, right, to invest. Because why, why, why am I gonna give you money to invest? You're not putting up your own money to invest. You're only investing my money. I need to see you put some of your own skin in the game. That's number one, right? And then on top of that, you in the in the the uh, asset class of venture capital, of that hundred million dollars, you basically are taking a loan out of that money to pay to to live over time so that's the two and tw- that's the two percent management fee model so basically for with a hundred million dollars for 10 years it's typically the lifetime of a fund you two percent you can spend two million a year just for the um you spend two million a year just for the the operations of the fund to pay people salaries et etc but that, is, that that two million is not on top of the 100 million. that two million is is inclusive of the 100 million. So basically, um, if, you, if you add that up, you actually only end up investing 80 million out of the 100 million because you're taking out a loan of 20 million dollars just to live over that 10 years, right? Um, so that's that's another, that's another reality. So you know that's why I tell you, like Jay, we've talked about this. That's why venture capital in the very beginning requires ruthless prioritization, because you really don't have any money. As a matter matter of fact, you don't have any money. You're You're taking a loan out against money that people gave you in order to pay for things, right? Now, the way venture capital works is after you have a fund or two or maybe three even, you should have one of your investments get really big and return a ton of capital to you. And and then you are operating within the parameters of venture capital. And what are those parameters? What I say philosophically in the beginning. The game of venture capital is you already have money and then you start doing something. So at that point, you know you have some companies exit, then you actually have money, and then you start operating within the bounds of venture capital a little bit better, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of people you'll start to see, not a lot of people, but there's some funds like a benchmark, Steve Jervis's fund, instead of putting up 2% of the fund, they put up 20, 30% of the fund. They put up, they, they're putting up their own money, right? See, have, there are people out there who have billion dollar funds who are putting up 200 million, 300 million of their own money, right? Collect, you know, with the them and their partners, right? Um, but that's how venture capital works. Venture capital is a – the way it's set up is actually, when it comes to finance, it's actually quite beautiful. Uh, And you can tell it was set up by entrepreneurs versus financiers to some degree, right? Um, Because, you know, the the venture capitalists really don't make money. Um, You know, me as a venture capitalist, the reality of it is I don't make a ton of money. I honestly, I really do not make, will not make money until my companies exit are either bought via M&H, Merchants and Acquisitions Transaction, or they IPO. Right. Uh, or or they become wildly profitable on their own and they start to kick dividends back to me as the shareholder. Right. Um, which can happen for private companies. Right. Um, that, those are only three ways that I will eventually actually make money. So. In venture capital, you have to be very, as a venture capitalist, you have to be very hawkish about the money you get, because I can't I can't operate and say, oh, um, I got two million for the year, but I'm gonna spend three million. You don't have three million dollars. Your LPs are not gonna. No one's gonna cough up money for you. You know, I I gave you what I gave you. Out of that, you need to extract what I gave you, and 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 use that for operations. So, and if you look at it, because of the hundred million, that that twenty million is not on top of the hundred million. Issue. It's, it's instead of a hundred million, I'm only investing eighty million. What but what, what ends up happening, if you think about it philosophically. I actually have less money to invest, so I have less shots on gold to actually – and the only way I make money is by investing, so you're actually only hurting yourself. So you're incentivizing a VC to spend as little money as humanly possible right, on operations so that you can invest as much as possible so that you actually have a shot on goal to actually make some money, and that's the, that's, the, that's the actual God's honest truth, harsh reality of venture capital. You know, a lot of people were years, you know, in the market that was running up from 2010 to 2020, those 10 years, a lot of people running around saying, know, they want to be a venture capitalist. They want to be a venture capitalist. They don't. Um, they're not, they are not they were I don't, I think a lot of them weren't necessarily, I think they were doing it because they want. they, they thought that it was lucrative and it, it is wildly lucrative if you can do well, but it, it's, I don't think they understand the inner dynamics of venture capital and there are easier ways to make money. I'm doing this because I'm passionate about it. I want to back human beings out of changing the world, that are moving humanity forward, you know, period, point blank. And I know I can do that through the venture capital asset class, right? Um, that's why I'm doing it. And that helps me, that desire helps me overcome the financial uncertainty that you deal with as, starting off as venture capital until you have a couple of co- a few companies exit and you can get a nice financial windfall um after that right so um yeah to answer your question, hopefully i answered your question jerry with respect to some of the dynamics
1: around venture capital oh you did i appreciate that and talking about big money 100 million billion dollars and all of these exits um some people like everyone views wealth differently like to some people five hundred thousand dollars is a lot some people is nothing and thinking of like hyper wealth people like jeff bezos they get mad a lot of times because they see them not pay taxes um and it's really like a game with ebit and irs and everything could you explain uh from your perspective the game because to me taxes are just a game to incentivize private social well-being but they don't publish the rules so your thoughts on that
0: so taxes are absolutely necessary uh there's a funny saying two things in life that are guarantee the death and taxes ever since you've seen you know societies ever since you had tribes of humans coming together um there was they typically all had to cough up something for the greater good of the village, the tribe, the the nation, the state, or whatever have you. We, we've had that since, since you had human beings coming together, right? And human beings, homo sapiens have been coming together for a long, long, long time, right? Otherwise we couldn't have defeated animals, be back nature, farmed, et cetera. So taxes are a, are necessary a hundred percent. I believe so. Now, what what are what is also necessary is the efficient use of taxes, and there are there are things that cause taxes to go up dramatically. Wars are, are probably the best example, right? Um, it was very common in the day, back in the day, when groups of people would come together, they would have a leader. That leader would want to go war, would go want to go. Either they want to defend themselves, or they want to go take other areas, and they would go tax the people their people in order to raise enough money uh, in order to go fight said war, right?
3: Um,
0: so you know taxes are taxes are going to be around as long as humans are coming together in groups, so they will be here forever from our perspective as humans um and 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 so I don't have a problem with taxes. Um, i i I do like you know flat tax versus progressive tax, et cetera um you know i i do think that you got know, i'd have to look at the numbers i've never actually put out an you know open up excel and ran the numbers myself um i do like the concept of a progressive tax
3: system though
0: um uh, versus just a flat tax um and uh you know i think but i do think there's an issue with respect to tax loopholes right um which is, i think is what you're intimating at with respect to Wealthy individuals not paying enough in taxes, not paying taxes. So the the it's a misnomer that wealthy individuals don't pay anything in taxes. They do, 100 percent What what
3: the
0: but the problem is are they paying their fair share of taxes, right? Because things are taxed differently in our system. There's a tax on labor and there's a tax on capital, right? And, and tax on investments, right? Um so the tax on labor is can otherwise be described as income tax, right? And that depends on your tax bracket, right? Um, and then of course your local municipality can have its own tax assessment. Like New York City famously has a city tax for each individual in the city. In addition to um, your, your income tax rate and you have, the, you have the state tax, in addition to the federal, uh income tax uh rate right, and that just kinda is what it is man um you know for that you just kinda have to eat it and you know it it is what it is um now there are now there's a tax on capital and tax on investment and when i when you talk about a tax on well really that that's reflecting the long term capital gains tax rate right uh which is which is inevitably it has to be lower than the income tax rate because you want to incentivize investment. So you incentivize instead of people actually just trying to get money out of a project right away and collect a salary, you incentivize people putting putting money into a project and that project being around for quite some time, right? Um, And so I see that as being a good thing. I actually wish that the long-term capital gain tax rate were higher. And I believe that I, I believe that corporate taxes should be higher, me personally. You asked me my belief, I gave you my thought. I believe that corporate taxes should be higher. I believe we can actually probably raise the rate on income taxes, a flight degree. But I believe that we should incentivize investment. Because the, the benefit to society for investment is, really, is pretty dramatic. It, it's, it's really large. Now I I know our tax code for instance heavily favors real estate old school industries real estate and farming and things you know things like that which are necessary you need food you need shelter right they are necessary to some degree but I believe that technology should also start to gain the most benefits um, uh, with respect to the tax code and right now technology does not does not largely benefit. There's something called qualified small business stock tax treatment. I, I encourage everyone listening to Google it, QSBS. Again, qualified small business stock tax treatment. That is that it early stage investing if a company's equity value is less than $50 million, right? But I think even at two, three, four, five hundred million dollars, you want to encourage investment into technology. Uh, and that's not really encouraged today. So that's kind of my belief on the tax code. I, I don't believe the government gets it completely right. I'm actually the opposite. I don't. I I used to call myself fiscally conservative, and I'm I'm I am uh, you know everyone says socially liberal, fiscally conservative. I am not as fiscally conservative now as I used to be um, after, after going through COVID and, and seeing um, basically universal basic income, basically checks being handed out, PPP being handed out by the government individuals, right? Um, that was a mind blowing to me seeing that uh, on many different levels. I think we'll we'll all reflect back 10, 15 years from now and be like, wow, what just happened? Um, but I think the government has a very big role to play. I actually think it does in society. And I I do not believe in small government at all costs. I'm pro I'm very pro military. And I fundamentally believe that you either um you're not you're not being thoughtful if you say you're pro-military or small government you're pro big military or small government you're not being a thoughtful individual I, I i would love to in that situation i would love to open up excel with you and explaining explaining to people how government works right now can the government um spend money or tax money more efficiently which if they do could result in us paying and them lowering taxes so they don't need as much, 100%. And should we as the citizenry hold them accountable, 100%, right? We should do that. Um, and, but, but, I, but me having lived overseas a, a ton, uh, I lived in a lot of different countries. Uh, in addition, I've lived outside the United States for five years of my life. In addition to that, uh, you know, I've traveled outside the United States a good amount. I do believe our country, for the sport size, does operate actually at a fairly efficient level, but it's not good enough. We should consistently hold the to fire and hold them accountable. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's the reality of things. Now, that's what I think about the tax and tax code. Now, let's go to wealthy individuals not paying taxes. That I did kind of address that a little bit. It's actually not true. I do believe they should they could probably pay a bit more, uh, for sure. I believe in the con. There was an old school concept of trickle down economics, effectively, of the less these wealthy individuals pay, they will they will spend more money in their communities, and they know better to do with their money than others. That's BS. That's been disproven over time. Uh, When I was, you know, um, in the '80s, I was a child, but uh, I I really don't remember anything. But um, you know, looking back and reading about it, that the wave of Reagan when he came in, uh, you know, in 1980. Was that you know that's he's going to cut taxes and it was going to it, what it 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 did promote economic development it spurred economic growth like a tremendous dramatic amount of growth I mean the United States post nineteen eighty early post World War II has been has been a miracle it's been it's been amazing what has happened but the U S form of the way we've done it has created dramatic inequality dramatic inequality right. Um, and you've seen a whole cohort of people, including a lot of people that look like us on this podcast, you know, let's, let's just address it, right, African-Americans, Latinos, et cetera, who have not been able to benefit from that growth. Um, and that, that's not just due to, the, that's not necessarily due to the tax code, that's just due to systematic racism, which we'll is just call it what it is, right? Um, but um it, it, you know there are other things that are that are that are involved in that situation, but I I do believe that these wealthy individuals, the also high net individuals, they should pay more in taxes. Um, I think low tax to all costs is not going to necessarily trickle down. It has not trickled down.
1: It just hasn't,
0: right? Um, so that was the thesis before, and it was wrong. Uh, we we now have about forty some odd years of data, um, and and where are you going to move to China? Can you move to Europe now A war in Europe. Right. I actually, so I was telling people, you know, it used to be, you know, we were scared to raise taxes. These people are going to leave where they're going to go now. They're not going anywhere. You know, we have the rule of law in this country. Uh, despite all our issues, it's the best country in the world to live. I firmly believe that, you know, I was in the military for almost half my life. And by the time I got out, I fought for it. Multiple, multiple deployments. Um, uh, and, you know, I, I, I do think that the, there needs to be a higher proportion paid by not only the wealthiest individuals, but also um, corporations, right? And I don't believe those corporations have a viable alternative country to move to.
3: Gosh, gotcha. mm-hmm. Interesting perspective,
1: especially from, you know I mean, someone who I would consider wealthy yourself, but moving on from taxes. I'm not wealthy brother.
0: I'm, I'm on borrow. I'm on, I'm very much on borrow time with, uh, as I told you, I explained to you the VC, the VC model, right? I'm in borrowing mode. I'm waiting for my big exits. Okay.
1: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so going into that, you want to wait for the big exits, but how do you get started in private equity? You started AIN, but I know that you did the whole private portfolio first. How, did, how do you make those first few investments, find the first companies?
0: Yep, absolutely. So, the way, and it's not private equity, it's venture capital, right? So, the question should be how do I get started in venture capital? But the way I got started was I basically took money that I was otherwise spent elsewhere. Uh, I say I did very well saving my money um, as an investment banker right? I saved. I paid down all my debt so I was debt free completely. And then on top of that, I saved. So I would take my entire investment banking bonus and I put it away. To the point where my financial advisor was like, man, you don't want to get a watch or just do something nice for yourself. And I was like, no, I'll do it. You know? Um, because I've never the best thing to me in life is options. right? And I, I didn't want to limit my optionality. At all, whatsoever. So, I saved extremely well, and have benefited, and 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 that's how I got going because I took that money that I saved, I invested that money in myself, and also into companies, um, and myself as far as earning, learn you know, gaining knowledge, and investing into companies, um, and built have built up a track record that I can put out to the world, right, and also the money that I save has enabled me to go with very little income and start AIN Cause I haven't, you know, I'm not taking a salary out of AIN, Right. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that is what not yet. Right. You know, I hope to very, very soon. Uh, but that is what has enabled me to, to, to like to get going.
1: Got you, But like, I want to ask like from Dealflow like, where do you find companies that present decks, and they're like, "Oh, this is my idea." Oh, 100 percent. You know what I mean? Like, where do so, you find the first? Group? Yeah. So networking,
0: networking, putting yourself out there, uh, Make yourself vulnerable, saying, "Going to going to going to tech stars, going to demo days." I was going to. i I. I think I went to my first tech stars demo day in like in 2014 or 2015 or something like a 2014 even. Um going to different incubator programs and, and um, I started going to incubator programs, not non-tech startups, incubator programs, like in 2012, 2011 and, and saying, Hey, I just want to just go to your demo day, meet companies, be helpful. Is there any way I can help? Right. And just getting involved, looking at business models, looking at things, you know, getting involved that way, just throwing myself into it. Um, you know, that's how, that's how you get going. And eventually you get reps you get a great eye, right? You have, a, you have a true eye for talent. You start to develop an eye for talent, right? Um, because at the end of the day, a startup is all about a of people in the beginning. That's all, that, that's all there is in the beginning, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's just, you know, the quality of that team. Even if you have uh, some high technology, it's like we invest in very deep, we call it deep tech. Uh, other people call it frontier tech. But even that, you still got to sell it, right? Um, so, you you know, um, and that's takes a certain type of person and and that person needs to be able to build a certain kind of team. so you know we um uh, you know i'm you know I'm basically threw myself into entrepreneurial venture capital entrepreneurial pursuits, venture capital while working as an investment banker, right on the side, I was constantly putting myself out there in order to uh, get to where I wanted to be, right? And the I, and I, other thing, too, is in banking, I, I use banking as a tool to learn. That's what I was there for. Now, while I was there, I definitely wanted to do well, 100%, but I, I use it as a tool to learn. That was, that was my thought process. Well,
1: okay. So,
2: I actually, if you don't mind, I want to kind of... It's bringing back, but I guess it's kind of also talking about uh, just like the deal flow and like how VC works, just like uh, conceptually. I remember you talked about just like the different types of uh, almost strategies for for VCs. There's like angel investing, there's early stage investment, um, and there's, I know you named a couple of others, but could you just explain... Uh the difference between some of them and why um you do early stage investments.
0: 100%. Um so let me let me let me can draw let me let me bottom out up front. Heard the numbers. Early stage venture capital investing is the number one returning asset class in the United States in about the last 45 to 50 years. Cambridge Associates comes out with a report on that. I don't think I've looked at the report in the last probably this year, but um, and as of twenty twenty one, that was true, um, and that 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 just is what it is. Real um, estate capital means like kind of seed, and even even I think they're including like Series A's and that in, in and that, in that that field, right? Um, mm-hmm. So you know that that is that. Now, what are the different classes? I'll, I'll lay them out for everyone. And, and, well, let me let me back up. That's why I participate in early-stage venture capital, because it's the number one returning asset class. If you're going to do it, you might That's just go right. all Now, there are some unique things to be said here. Anytime you make an investment, you need to probability weight it, the, the expected, value, expected value return, or you need another way to say you need to look at the risk that you're taking. Mm-hmm. Okay? With that investment. All right? Early sta- now, 98% of the returns in early-stage venture capital are in 2% of the companies. The majority of the returns are in 2% of the companies. That's, that's, that's the reality of things. So when you probably weight it, there are other asset classes that probably make even more sense to participate in, unless you have a unique network unique class asymmetric advantage that will enable you to do extremely well in the early-stage venture capital asset class. If you don't have that advantage, you might want to go on private equity. There are less the returns are not necessarily as good in private equity, but you don't have 98 percent of returns and only two percent of the, the companies. They're, they're more evenly spread. There's also real estate, right? You mm-hmm. don't have as good of returns as private equity, private equity and or versus capital. but it's easier to make money. So it's easier to make two, three times your money. you'll never make you'll never make hundred times a thousand times your money. It'll never happen. But you can very easily make three to five times your money. Well, mm-hmm. not easily, but you can you can do make you know three to five times your money, right? Um, in, in real estate, and then there's public stock investing. We call it private market, uh, public market, um, public market equivalents, right? S p five hundred, Dow Jones, mm-hmm. Industrial Average, Russell three thousand index, two thousand index, one thousand index, right? Mm-hmm. So investing in the public markets, right? And exchange traded funds, et cetera. So Um, I just want to kind of give you that Uh, private equity is a very difficult game to play. It's not something to take lightly. You know, I I, I kind of hinted before I'm, I I got, and I'm concerned about all the people in 2010 to 2020 that said they want to be VCs. I don't think they were methodical and thought about it. They weren't thoughtful. I don't, Mm -hmm. some people say they were, you know, and, and, and now it's going to be harder to make money with interest rates going up. A lot of people are going to wash out of being VCs. They just are, hundred percent, right. Our lives are on the line of AIN. You know, it, it, I'm in, uh, to me, me included, right. So, so it's not. I'm just not saying they. No, but 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 I'm confident that I've been thoughtful and I prepare for this, right. Uh, I, I went to. I, I've had this on my mind since I went to the number one business school in the land. When I went there, you were a Chicago boot. And then I was an investment banker for six years. I was advising startups and incubator programs and accelerated programs. I still do that. I'm a coffin fellow. I, you know, been investing for years now, right? So I prepared for, you know, like Game of Thrones, winter's coming. I got my coat on. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, whereas everyone else, you know, they got on flip-flops, they got on slides and and, and Nike shorts, you know? And and the white beater and it's going to get cold, you know? And I don't know, you know, I'm, we're not on the beach anymore so you know that that's that now um i just want to kind of give that hint you know that, that not hint but i want to give that you know disclaimer on, on vc or early statements capital now when it comes to the different asset classes within vc or the different levels of vc there's angel investing right friends and family you will probably let me let me get some dollars you will probably you know it depends on how wealthy your friends and family are right but you're probably looking at less than $250,000 or less capital raise. So you're literally going to uh, your brother, sister, uncle, aunt, second cousins removed, parents, um, wife, family, your girl's family, uh, your people you went to college with, anyone you can to raise some capital at that friends and family round. So that's, that's, that's your initial round. I got an idea. I love some money so I can start building. Cool. The next round is the angel round. And there are serial angel investors. And these people people put in real money for, you know, people put in anywhere from, you know, five thousand dollar checks to two hundred thousand dollar checks, right? Um, as angels intercom. And there are angel groups that have come together and give someone a million dollars, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of angel groups are affiliated with different universities and uh et cetera. Um and, and you know, low private investment clubs. The private investment clubs have lasted, have also kind of effectively been around since humans have been around, and civilizing, right? To some, some, some way, uh, degree, way, shape, form. Uh, after angel investing, there. It, and that's what I was initially. That's how I started and built my track record. I was an angel investor. I actually have never truly been a friends and family investor. I've looked at potential investing at that level, but I've actually never. Pulls the trigger wisely. Uh, we call it. We actually call it friends, families, and fools. Uh, that's what that round is. <laughs> um, so the angel investing. Oh, okay, there's there's friends, family, and fools. There's angel investing, and the next thing. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yep. All right. The next thing is um is pre-seed investing. So pre-seed investing, you'll probably see a check of. You know, five to seven hundred and fifty thousand. It could be as low as 250K. Um, you know, the company will typically be less than $10 million in value. Um, it could even be low as four or five million dollars in value, right? Company has no traction at all, right? And 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 so that's that's the key to pre-seed investing. The con to understand if you got a pre-seed company is the company has no traction. That's the pre-seed investment. Um then there's seed stage investing. Seed stage, you'll see typically companies raise between a million and $4 million, right? Um, you'll see companies raise between a million and $4 million. They um, are typically going to be valued at, you know, um, $25 million or less, right? We actually only, we, you know, we were early seed investors, so we try to get at $15 million or less for AIU Ventures, um, this is where you get real institutional capital, hardcore looking at looking at how your company's performing. And at this point, you're either you either have initial traction for your company or you have a company that is going to take a while to actually commercialize. the technology will take a while to commercialize, but what you're doing is you are um you know what, what you're doing is you are Developing the product and you have, you have evidence that the product is developing and is on, on the path to eventually be commercialized. So either that is occurring or you already commercialized and you are finding traction in your company. There is a concept called product market fit, right? Mm-hmm. And if product market fit should be assessed by looking at financial metrics of how the velocity of that product being purchased and how that product is being utilized by the customer. Uh, and that's that this is at the C stage. Typically, you're at the you have traction, but you're in the pre-product market fit phase. So the pre-C phase is to give you money just to go build the product. The C stage is to give you money to go find product market fit. Go explore different customer segments. Examine how your product is being utilized by those customers. How they're buying it, et cetera, and then we can we can try and try to find to say, hey, I have a point where I know I have a product and I can, it's measurable, observable, and repeatable as with respect to how to sell this product. Man. Okay. <laughs> the next stage is uh, Series A. Classically, si- Series A, you're looking at probably raising between ten and twenty million dollars, right? Um, and for these rounds, you say what is the value of the company? Typically, in each round, you, you sell about twenty percent of the company. That's about what you do, right? At the Series A stage, you should have product market fit. You should have the financial metrics that let you helps you understand that this company has product market fit. You should be looking at long time, lifetime value of the company relative to customer acquisition costs, like LTV to CAC. You want it over a certain amount. Repeat customer rate. I have a whole bible. Key performance indicators that I, I utilize, and I quickly look, and it. it is literally the same thing as looking at an athlete in the NFL draft or mm-hmm. an NBA combine, right? An NFL combine is, nice. that's forty time bench press, lateral movement drill, vertical jump. Um, what's the other? Uh, what's the other metrics? Broad jump, right? Mm-hmm. You just have these KPIs, you, and it depends on the business model, of the company, the kind of company it is. But for each different kind of company, you have these KPIs and look, either you ran a four two or you ran a four five. I d I don't know what to tell you.
3: You know yeah. what I'm saying?
0: You run a four you run a four two, you're a first round draft pick. You run a four right. five, you might go fifth round. It just is what it is. Right? Yeah, and right. so at the at the at the series A, no, for real. At the series A, it's just straight up um it, it, it should be at that point. Hopefully, you have metrics to go off of. The company should have product market fit, and what you're doing is you're giving the comp the money company to expand their sales force, right? So that they can go and because their sales process is, at that point should be measurable, observable, repeatable. You're giving them money so they can just expand sales. Right. So that's what's happening at that stage, right? Um, now, now we invest in companies that are deep tech. So, companies may not have, even at the Series A, may not have a product that's to be commercialized. It's still developing a product, but we at least have a sign that that company is close to commercialization, right? And honestly, even for a deep tech company, you should be pretty close to commercialization at around the A. Oftentimes, it may not actually get commercialized until around the Series B or Series C level, but you should, at the A, you should know you're within striking distance, right? Now, the Series B is a really interesting, we call it the treacherous D, right? At that point, you could be raising anywhere from 30 to 50 to 60 some million dollars for the company. Again, you want to sell 20% of the company so you can back into the mass there. Just take whatever number you're getting top five, right, to get, you know, to the value of the company. Mm-hmm. And at at that point, um, at that Series D level, you start to care a little about, you should start to care a little bit more about unit-level economics, right? So, because, and you start to care about that because does this co- is this company with this striking distance, does it have a path to get to profitability, right? That's what you care about. Uh, that's what you still start to care about at at that level, right? Um, for the deep tech companies that we have, the very science, for companies that we have you know they very well may not um even be commercialized yet but you at, at a series b that technology should be very close to going to market uh if not and, and honestly if it's not in market by the b as a deep tech company it's, it's something that it's something to be worried about unless it's something really bleeding edge right like fusion technology or something like that hey you just may not quite be there yet but so that's that um, now if you do the math. You say, let's say 50 for the B, 20 for the A, that's 70. Let's say at the seed, you raise five, that's 75, right? And the, the pre seed, between the pre seed and A's, you raise another million. So you, you got just shy of $100 million into this company already to get it going, right? <clears throat> Which is why, if it's a capital, you're looking for unicorn exits to actually justify. The risk that you're taking to invest in that company, remember every investment decision should be should be risk weighted right The number one and most important thing to consider when making an investment decision other than the human being well, the number one most important decision to be made when it comes to an investment is what asset class you want to invest in right right and then what kind of risk are you willing to take within said asset class right that is that is extremely that is extremely uh, important, all right? Okay, so that's a Series B. Series C, you're gonna see a company, a company could raise $100 million at that point, right? At this point, you're starting to identify what kind of exit is this company going to have? Are you should sure the VC should be thinking about that earlier? But at that point, it should be a little bit more clear. Is this company like to PASTA to go public, via an initial public offering? Or is this company on a path to be acquired, simply acquired, right? And then how the company is set up is different depending on that path, right? Um, And then that, and and at that Series C level, you're at about that growth equity stuff. And anything at that level or beyond is called growth equity. That's a different kind of investor. You see a lot of private equity firms actually participate at this level, and you could have a situation where the company is actually profitable. Uh, mm-hmm. at that kind of growth equity level. Um, you, you totally could have that ability, right? And a crossover rounds the companies that investment investing companies that are about to go public. Their next round is going to go public. So you're prepping that company to be owned by retail shareholders and large institutions, like the ones that run their one, um their, their control, 401ks, pensions, or us when we go on TD Ameritrade and go buy stock, right? Mm-hmm. And something we're interested in, right? So, you know, that was a little long-winded, but that's, Pretty much how those are the different kind of elements of venture capital, how things are laid out, um, and it's a very interesting game. And I encourage everyone to dig into this game, dig into this this field, because like I said, this is where the wealth creation, job creation, innovation is occurring in the Western world. Well, in the modern global in the modern global economy, not even in the Western world, in the modern global economy, the Chinese are doing it themselves also.
1: Thanks. Thanks. No, that was a great. That was a great explanation of VC. Oh, all the stuff. The stadiums. people needed that. Yeah, everybody needed that one. Um, my next place I want to go is: How do you look for founders? And has anyone surprised you? Obviously, people being the most important early stage.
0: People. I don't want to say something. People are the most important at every stage. I just think that the probability weighting, remember it's about risk and probability weighting. The probability the probability weighting that you put on the, 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 within your decision matrix of an investment, the weighting that you put on the people should be higher the earlier the company is. So people matter in every single stage of the investment. Okay? Um, and that's pure point blank. As a matter of fact, when I start investing in the public markets again, I've paused because I'm, I'm you can save money for AIN. When I start investing in the public markets again, I am actually excited to do so because, I, to the degree that i to the information, the degree of the information I'm afforded, right, I plan on pursuing a, my own little private portfolio, Sherman Williams, you know, my own little public, private public portfolio um, of investing in in companies, public companies that have the absolute best founders. Right and and or or, or CEOs because a lot of times the founding member is not the CEO of the company still, but has the best CEOs and but I have to develop a whole decision matrix on how to assess that person is the best CEO without knowing without being able to meet with the person, because I'm afforded the opportunity for the capital to meet with
3: people personally.
0: So that's that. Um, but how do I? I think your question was how do I go about finding these founders again. It's through putting myself out there. I'm a mentor for a ton of accelerated programs. Um, I speak. I offer offer up to speak. I hope a lot of entrepreneurs hear this podcast, right? If you are, if you're a company in space, sustainability, or health tech, or or something involving defense tech, or cybersecurity, or you're a military veteran entrepreneur, come find me. So I'm constantly putting myself out there, right? And I'm going to things, right? I'm I'm consistently going to things. Getting out, getting off of this computer, going out to try to meet entrepreneurs. Right,
3: right.
0: I'm I'm doing that in order to, uh, in order to meet these people, and and eventually you develop a good of a, a, a network with other VCs also. Um, you know, I, I network with in air in in pockets where a lot of entrepreneurs are coming out of, right, and I do all of those things in order to. Surface so, so the VCs, I'm sorry, the entrepreneurs surface for me. Uh, I find actually not surface. I go find them. I dig for them. They don't actually surface. I, I dig for them, uh, get them out up from from under the ground, right? And and dust it off and, and really take a look at what's up with these companies and you know what's going on here, uh, and then and then you know make an investment decision from there. So it's about developing that network on a consistent basis um, in order to, to succeed.
1: If I, if I, I was gonna say, have any of them surprised you? Any of the founders that you've invested in, good or bad?
3: Uh,
0: founders have surprised me both a good and bad way. Um, you know, when it comes to founders, uh, I believe that most of my founders' hearts have been in the right place. Almost, uh, I've been fortunate for every founder I've invested in; their heart has been in the right place. The biggest issue with founders that have not done well and who I've not reinvested into is they didn't tell the truth. And the reason why they didn't tell the truth is because they, they were in a, a certain environment and they were trying to make things seem better than they actually were.
3: Mm-hmm. Um so
0: in their mind they were doing the right thing and they were faking it so they made it. But they but once you once you lose my trust from an integrity standpoint, I'm completely out.
1: Right. Um
0: and um Almost across the board, if I didn't reinvest in a founder, it was because I lost faith in that, uh, I I lost faith in that that person uh, in integrity. Because at the end of the day, it's about making really hard decisions, Mm -hmm. right? And and when I play football, I play football in high school and a little bit in college also. My high school football coach said every game is decided by six big plays. That's it. Everything in life, I think, is, is life is like six big plays. Every company is six big plays. It's not about what you did on first and ten in the first quarter. It's really about what you did on fourth and two in the fourth quarter with five minutes left and you're down. Thanks. That's what it's all about, right? It's about that inbounds pass in the fourth quarter and you down by three, right? And how and how and are you able to get the, inbound, the ball inbound? Did you did you execute the play, right? Mm-hmm. That's what it's all about. And if I lose the ability to believe that they're going to make the right decision in those six big plays, because they'll be okay otherwise, so which means they'll still do okay as a company, but they're not going to they're not going to perform well when it comes to that big play. Then I'm out. I am I am I am completely I'm completely out on that company, Uh, and that founder. And I'll never I'll probably never invest in that founder again. And here's something I've been thinking about a lot because. I personally deal with financial uncertainty, me personally, in my own personal life, starting a fund. I told you, the fund, the fund economics are not sweet in the very beginning. It won't be – it's really not sweet. It's really never truly sweet, but it doesn't really start making sense until about fund three, fund four-ish, right? The fund economics, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, one thing I thought about was if you know you – The both the best thing in the world is to actually have the skill set to know you have the skill set. So I I I drew an analogy for somebody. I said, hey man, you know you are what's I can't remember the receiver on the Saints. Um, a couple years ago he had the most catches in the NFL or whatever. Michael something. Michael Um, Thomas. Not fast at all. I think he ran like a four five. Michael Thomas, but he ran like a four five four six. But he knows he can catch. Because at the end of the day, this is not a track competition. This is a wide receiver competition, right? A route running competition, right? And so, you know, and I'm gonna be a little convoluted here, but I'm, let me try to get this. Let me try to get this point out. So I'm gonna try help me get, help me stay on track here. I know what I'm capable of, right? Have I ever been the best, the absolute freaking best? No. Right, so when it comes to VC and raising a fund, you gotta you gotta look at yourself. Man, on paper, you're not that dude, but that's okay. Michael Jordan didn't make the high school team freshman year. Tom Brady got drafted seventh round. Steph Curry went to Davidson.
3: Thanks.
0: You know, you're not that dude. You know, I mean, you're just not that guy. You gotta you have to sit back and acknowledge that but you're gonna work harder. You know, over time, you're gonna be able to compete and you're, going, you're not gonna compete, you're gonna excel. You're gonna beat these other people. But it's whether or not you have the time to actually get there. That's, now, a lot of people run out of time, right?
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, so what I was thinking of was with founders and with VCs, early emerging managers, like myself, what happens is, is you let that financial uncertainty get to you and you start making bad decisions right? Mm -hmm. When in actuality, all you had to do, despite, no matter how hard it got, was maintain your composure, stay level-headed, right? And a lot of people starting a small business, people starting a venture-backed startup, emerging managers, venture capital. I think a lot of us, right? And I see it because right now I have big decisions to make, right? But I want to make the, those decisions from an abundance mentality versus a scarcity mentality, right? I think a lot of African Americans, my people from my community, right, a lot of Latinos, right, they make, you make you because you you grew up in a scarcity environment, right?
3: Mm-hmm.
0: You you make you make these decisions not from an abundance mentality, but from a scarcity mentality, right? And 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 with that being said, um. You know, what you got to do is you got to maintain your head and you got to make the right decision. Now, that will require ruthless prioritization, like I talk to Jay about all the time, 100%. Right. But if you're able to maintain your head and survive, right, and it may may even thrive a bit through these things and not just survive, but thrive a bit through this, I think you can be in an absolute beautiful place, right, over time. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, with respect to these founders, they didn't, they, they, I think that they allowed the uncertainty to get to them at some point and they started doing the wrong thing. Right? Right. And that, that's what happened. Instead of swallowing and doing the right thing, they
3: did what they,
0: what they did, what they, did what they did the wrong thing. And they, and they are, they made the wrong decision. Companies suffer for it. And, and I'm out.
3: if i may i'd like to
2: like flip the other side of that question which is what do you what are like the kpis talk about like the sports metaphor like scouting like what do you you look for in founders before you like just looking at going to the uh a scouting event be like oh he's jumping fast oh he's running fast what are those kpis you look for in people before you invest so well, i actually don't so I actually don't
0: look at so I don't look at product market fit uh, okay. for some time. What I and actually uh, product market fit is a bit of a newest because I feel like a lot of people don't have enough data to assess product market fit. What I look at is sound market fit. Okay. Are you the human being to sell this product within this market? Mm. Are you that person? I like
3: that. Right. I like
0: that. That's that. So I look at that. So that's what I look for because you could be Michael Jordan on the Bulls or you could be Michael Jordan playing on the White Sox in AAA. Right. That's, Michael Jordan did not have baseball prior to the final founding market fit. He had outstanding basketball in market fit though. The best actually, right? Mm-hmm. LeBron James was an All-State football in high school, right? Founding market fit. Basketball or football for, for LeBron James? I'm gonna go ahead and say basketball, right? And life and everything because he we, would you been the best tight end ever okay right like, you know <laughs> look at that relative to the best basketball player ever right right um so i look for founded market fit and so i'm looking at educational background i'm looking at work history i'm looking at are you approaching the market with some sort of asymmetric advantage is your goal do you have a strategy to go to market that's better than others that will lower the cost of capital that it takes for this company to be successful. That is what I am personally looking at. At the um, when I when I initially meet a founder, right, and uh, for an early stage company, right. I've got a company I'm looking at right now. The guy has a PhD from a, one of the top five universities in the United States or in the world. He has a PhD in, and wrote his dissertation in the product that he's building. That's found in market fit. Right. Right. Now, even with that, can he sell it? Right. So, who are you hiring? Are you able to attract talent around you to be able to hire that day?
3: Mm-hmm. Right.
0: But that is the most important thing for me is that found in market fit. And therefore, you end up having a little bit of a bias towards second time founders who have successfully raised venture capital funding in the past. Founders who have had successful exits in the past, you you, you, inevitably, you inevitably have a bias towards those people. Toward those people.
3: Right.
0: Now, with that being said, I want to invest in underestimated minorities, and we haven't been afforded the opportunity to be a second-time founder, or been afforded the opportunity to um, to like you know have a successful exit or raise venture capital funding mm-hmm. in the past because we didn't have the right networks, et cetera. So I'm, I'm wildly conscientious of that fact, right? But they still have to have something in their background, right? And then ultimately, when I really get to know them, that's all I'm saying is just for me to have a second or third conversation. with right. But what I'm really going to dig in is I'm looking at what you went through in life. Have you gone through something, right? Have you exercised grit and determination? Have you gone through something to get to where you're at that lets me know that when times get tough, you're going to do what What did we talked about before? You're going to do the right thing on the six six big plays in a game. Mm Right. Right. That's what I'm looking for. That's ultimately what I'm looking for to back this founder. You went through some shit. Right. And you came out on the other side. Because in life, we, we, the cool thing about America, the the, 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 the the interesting thing about society in general is we prop up person that just wanted everything you know he ivy league Rhodes scholar played the league all this we, we, but the cool thing about america is we love a comeback story
3: mm-hmm. america
0: loved batman you know mm-hmm. what i'm saying parents got killed you know uh all this but you came up taught yourself technology right and you also were rich right but 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 then you know right. and, and 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 found a way to you know, to, 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 you know, get retribution on the people that, you know, like killed your parents or whatever, right? If that, that comeback story is big in New York, you got knocked down and you come back, right?
3: Mm-hmm.
0: I do think we need, we need to, it needs to manifest itself in a different way in our society, I feel like, but we do need to, I think we need to better emphasize and, and, and have a little bit more admiration for uh, people who have gone through things and were able to come out of those things successfully. And those people that didn't start on third base, right? Right. Those people that started at the, at, you know, in the batter's box, right? Right. Those people that, you know, um, you know, came from, you know, just didn't have a lot of um, opportunity, but were still able to find their way to a certain level, right? right? Like I, I admire those kinds of people, right? The immigrants of the world. I mean, fifty, fifty percent at one point. I don't know if it's still true, but it was like 2018, 2019, 50% of all unicorn startups in the, in Silicon Valley were were founded by immigrants. There's, probably, there's a reason for that, right? That They didn't take the easy way out, right? There was a decision to be made, and they made the right decision, and they bet on themselves, largely because they didn't really have anyone else to bet on them, right? Mm-hmm. Same thing with AIN. AIN, we started because we didn't have... And we did have someone better on us. We had a larger fund, a bigger fund that put money into us, right? So we did have that. But I mean, you know, a, you know, a, would I have started this if I could have got a job at Sequoia or Andreessen Horowitz? Or probably not. Let's be honest. Let's just keep it all the way one hundred. Right. You know, um, would you have started different if the number one marketing and branding agency in the world said, "Hey, we'll shoot you fifty million dollars. Come work with us." no no you would not have you would not have started different you would be doing you would be working with them under their branding getting paid
3: <laughs>
0: right um you know i love i love jay-z i love the story rockefeller rockefeller said we try to get the record deal <laughs> right yeah. I, we legitimately tried they didn't back us so we put our own money up you know DJ Clark Kent talks about he was walking around the subway with fifty thousand dollars that damn Dash gave him for uh you know for some tracks on, on, on Reasonable Doubt. Right? Mm-hmm. Like I tried. I we I, I would have taken an advancement for the from the studio from the record company if they would have gave me, right? But I, I didn't have that, so I had to put my own money up and I put cash up and you know, they got the cash from somewhere, right? Whatever, but um, mm-hmm. you know, like that's just facts. So a lot of things start because you know you don't have other people necessarily uh, believing you. You have to just kind of like, you know, you're looking for people. I'm looking for founders to answer your question and wrap this up. Jay is, you know, that are gonna they were like, you know what, I'm gonna go do this myself. This is this is what I'm doing, right. you know, um, and 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 they're taking not not just voicing it, but they're taking steps and consistently demonstrating traction to some way shape or form to some degree that illustrates demonstrates that you know they will be successful over time right
3: thanks i
1: think i know i'm gonna i'm gonna wrap it up with the last couple questions and i think i was gonna ask how do i raise a million dollars but from everything that we've talked about in the entire conversation the answer to everyone would simply be networking be in the right place at the right time but i want to ask this question like really for you it's fun question because we talked about earlier like you said you're not rich and we're not going to disclose like any like numbers and network but what number what is your number that makes you feel like you're rich and i mean we've been talking about the structure of vc and what it's kind of like being cash for because the company hasn't exited or whatever yet what is the number for you, though, that makes you feel rich?
0: Um, number one, I don't like the word rich. I like wealthy, right? Okay. That's number one. So we'll just start there philosophically. Um, I will feel wealthy. My number is actually, I don't really have an actual number. It's about what I can do, and it's just optionality. I, mean, hmm. I can do what I want to do when I want to do it with who I want to do it with. Mm-hmm. So if I want to fly to K-Town for a Black Black coffee concert, I can do that, right? right. If I want to go to London and see Kendrick and Jay-Z perform, I can do that, right, right. Uh, for the weekend. Right. Um, I can take my parents on trips for their birthdays, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, my nephew, my little brother, my little sister, I can do for them. Uh, if I'm dating some someone at the time, I can do something for her, right? Uh, if I ever have kids, I can do something for them. Yeah, you know, I can do what I want to do for them, put them in the best schools, afford afford them the best opportunities, and learning lessons. You know,
3: um,
0: you know that's 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 wealthy to me. So I don't know I don't know how much money that is, right? Um, but that's what I would want to be able to to do. But I don't. A lot of people say they have a number where they want to retire. I am effectively retired. I'm doing – I I i am not working – I am working for someone else because I already have LPs in my fund. But I, I, I'm not saying I'm retired in the sense that I'm not working for anyone else. You know, I'm working for myself. I'm doing what I want to do. I am choosing intentionally to invest in companies that I believe in and founders that I believe in, more importantly – That are going to change the world period full stop i want to do this for the rest of my life at a minimum in some way shape or form right for right now i don't want to say maximum because i don't know what the maximum is It's to be seen and i have more lessons to learn in life but for what i understand now i would be running a massive alternative investment shop venture capital fund multi-billion dollars um I invested from the early stage, all the way to growth equity, I also have a dead arm. Um, I would do that for, from, you know, I would do that until the day that I die, right? Um, and I, I can look back my legacy is that I I backed all of these humans. I gave these, you know, at my funeral, you know, yeah, I mean, hopefully I can get over a hundred years I'll have a at that funeral. I have a 25 year old entrepreneur who said two years ago, "Just do back me," and I, my company is a unicorn status, right? And and and
3: and,
0: and these it, people, he, you know, and he's 87 years, almost 80 years, my junior, right? And mm-hmm. and 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 I'll and have people who are at that point 60, 70, 80 years old. who are like, he backed me too, you know? Right. Um, and and, and so. You know, because I believe that with the current economic system, while we have a lot of flaws in this current economic system and, you know, the community I come from hasn't really benefited from it at scale, I do believe there's some tremendous benefits of this economic system that we exist within. And and venture capital is one of the most unique and beautiful uh, areas uh, of this kind of, you know, global economic system we operate within. And um, it can, it can. I I truly believe I'm evangelical about this that these companies can have drive the biggest impact. And I want to be a part of these companies with these companies. Um, And um, yeah, that's, that's my answer.
3: Thanks.
1: Last thing I'm going to ask, and then we'll talk about where people can find you is what
3: does different mean to you? Difference is being authentic. So I had this
0: revelation a few years ago, several years ago. I mean I'm an eighties baby. So you know, eighties you just had to be different. You couldn't look like anybody else. I was too young. I was I was very young in the eighties, but I'm still an eighties baby. Facts. I was baby in the eighties. Mm-hmm. And like see my older cousins and stuff, you just had to be different. Mm-hmm. Um but different is not just being different for a different state, sake. Different is being authentic to yourself. And the coolest thing about life is can't any no one can be you. They can imitate you, the biggest form of flattery, right? Mm-hmm. But they can't be you. So something I've been, I think about this. Different for me is being authentic to answer your question directly to yourself. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest thing I try to do. And the only way you can stand out and win, I feel like you have to be different, right? Particularly, I feel like for minorities, the game wasn't set up for us to win. It just wasn't. Just, this is not our system. So you have to do something different than other people have done in the past. You just have to, right? 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 So I I listen to a ton of VCs and entrepreneurs. Who are, I, cool. Like, I Elon, I listen to him. I can't do what he does, right? I have to be—I have to—I could be black and I'll be the best rocket scientist, the best entrepreneur in the world. I still have to do something different than he does. Right. So we all do the thing. It's the game I'm playing,
3: right? Mm-hmm.
0: It's like being an NBA point guard—you are under sixteen You got to—you got to hoop different, right? You're not—you're not dunking over the five, over the center. It's not happening. You got to pull up. You got to get your fadeaway game on point, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you got—you got to develop some other skill sets. So, I thought about, I'm trying to be my the most authentic self in all walks of life. Now, there are things that you do that can be off-putting to the others. There's nothing you can do about that. You can't help it. It is what it is. But in other instances, try to become a better person. So, I'm trying to be the best version and most authentic, best version of myself. Right, and that to me is different. That will enable me to stand out, and that will be that will enable me to achieve what i what I want to achieve in life.
2: That's my favorite one so far, bro. I'm just I'm just gonna say it right now. <laughs> we asked no, everybody this a question response. at the end of our podcast, and uh, I love that response because I wholeheartedly agree. Wholeheartedly,
3: yeah.
0: agree. and that's just it's like, do you? No one else can, right? And if you're not winning by doing you, and you, 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 you're you not winning by doing you so people try to go and do some other, try to be like somebody else. That's what everybody does, right? Yep. No, level up. That's not what you do. Just level up. Right. Take, take some of what they're doing to win, acknowledge it, and put your own little spin on it and go do you. Continue to do you, but just do, be, do you better. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Exactly.
2: Well, Sherman, thank you so much, man, for uh, for taking the time out to talk to us. Uh, last thing is, I'm just going to give you the floor um, to let people know where they can find you if they want to find you and support you in your work, uh, where they can do that. Absolutely. So,
0: um, website is ainventures.com. The different team actually developed the website. Um, you can find us there. We are actually going to be developing a contact form where. Founders can drop decks, uh, upload decks to our site, um, etc. Um, you can also, if you're a founder, you can email us at deals at academyinvestor. Academy Investor, Ace. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll like we'll in this podcast in the
2: description, right? Yeah, yes. Twitter,
0: exactly, exactly, exactly. How <laughs> do exactly. to spell it? Um, and um, LPs, find me. Uh, you know, AI, you know uh, Sherman at Academy Investor.com, also founder Sherman at Academy i I give you guys my email. Uh, probably blow up my inbox, but it's all good. Um, you know, you follow me on LinkedIn, find us on LinkedIn, find us on Twitter. Um, at Twitter, I'm VC underscore Sherman. Um, that's my Twitter handle. Right. Uh, you know, LinkedIn, you just Google my name and find me. Or you know, look at look up AI inventors on LinkedIn. Uh, and those are, those are the spots, man. We got a podcast coming out uh, that's that's actually out. We're already promoting it. Uh, we focus on veteran entrepreneurs with a slant towards. We talk about all veteran entrepreneurs. We do have a nice slant towards Black veteran entrepreneurs, which is really cool. Um, something not not widely talked about. And um, it's been a pleasure to speak with you all. Speak to everyone. And
1: uh, yeah, let's do it again sometime in the future. For sure, uh, man. And for everyone that yeah. asks yeah. why not crypto, and we didn't talk about investing in crypto, you answered that when you said it's not the highest returning asset class. That's why it's private equity and DC.
0: No, 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 no. It, it it's it's a venture capital, but early stage it's capital capitalists do invest in crypto. We if you would have asked about crypto, I would have went into that, but we can do that in
2: another one. Yeah, we'll, we'll, do, it on one. we'll <laughs> do it on the next one. We'll do it on the next I love I
0: I actually love Web3. I'm a big believer
2: in Web3.0. All right. Well, then we gotta have I've another made, conversation. I've made
0: I've made I've made several investments in the space myself.
2: Okay. Say less. So. All right, bet. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, like I said before, we'll leave all of the descript, uh all the information to reach out to uh Sherman in the description. So if you're interested, go check that out. Otherwise, thank you guys all for listening. This has been another episode of Navigating Now, a different podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening and uh, we'll see you next time. Peace. Thank you.